Inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. A busy Thursday. We kick it all off as the Phillies are one week or so away from opening day. They will open next Friday. We'll have the Phillies conversation coming up. Bob Wankel crossing broad at the bottom of the hour. So yesterday we talked about Ben Simmons shooting the three. By the way, Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, Josh Henning producing today's show. You out there. So we opened up yesterday's show with Ben Simmons shooting threes, right? That's the way we went. So today I was reading about Vince Velasquez, and I just wrote an article about Vinny Velasquez, which made me think about this. There's a lot of candidates out there. Which player from one of the teams in Philly is the most frustrating guy? Which player frustrates you the most? Because he is talented. There's more there. And he might be good, but he could even be better. I think I know the answer instantly. Who's your guy? It's got to be Ben. No? Doesn't it have to be Ben Simmons? His ceiling is so damn high. Well, some people might say, he doesn't frustrate me. He's an all-star. He's great. Or some people might say, he doesn't frustrate me. He sucks. You know well, that's just, that one's <laughs> ridiculous. Let's get that one out of the, uh, you know, out of the options. But no, I mean, look, it's because his ceiling is so high. I get the Vince Velasquez thing would spark that idea because Vinny V has the stuff sometimes. Same with Nick Pavetta. Both of them. They show moments where it's like, okay, maybe this can work. But their ceilings are not as high as Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons' ceiling could be the most dominant player in the entire league. I don't look at Vinny V and Nick Pavetta in that way. So it's just got to be Ben. He's missing that one thing. I mean, you could almost say Velasquez, you know, arm-wise, stuff-wise, you know, he has an electric arm, he has electric stuff that you could say that he belongs in that type of Ben Simmons conversation. He just has been here longer and has never given you the year that makes you say, man, he did X in 2017. Can he get back to that guy? He's just constantly been inconsistent, injured. Um, he's never had a statistical season that would suggest that. But if you look at his arm and his stuff, you would say, man, why can't this guy put it together? He's got to be, if we're putting a list of the top five, I think Vinny Velasquez Almost has to be there, no? I remember in 2016 when he had that 16-strikeout performance, and I thought to myself, oh, wow, do we have something here? Remember that? Yeah. 16 strikeouts putting guys away left and right. And I was thinking, wow, really? Did we really just get a gem? And no, we didn't. No, he has just been so inconsistent. But Ben Simmons has to be on the list. Velasquez has to be on the list. I mean... I guess, I mean, for some, I mean, I'm sure Carson Wentz is on that list, right? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, absolutely. If you go in the Eagles' direction, would it be that? Would it be Carson Wentz? You don't really know what you have in Andre Dillard enough to say that that would be frustrating, right? I mean, you got to kind of see him play more before you can go down that road. Yeah, I can't go with a guy who played five games. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of someone on the defense, Sidney Jones, because Sidney Jones yeah. has potential, and the injury definitely played a factor, but, I mean, it's not like that skill level wasn't there prior to the injury. Yep, Sidney Jones can be a guy that would be on there, I would imagine. I'm trying to think of some fly guys. People I don't know, are, some people, people are, are Giroux guys. Right? Giroux, I can't stand the Giroux slander. Can't stand it. 
Well, I mean, does he belong? To, is he a guy that you would say frustrates you? Well, see, here's the thing with the Claude Giroux haters. They just don't think that he... They don't look at him and say, you underachieve as a player. They just look at the whole strip the C conversation. You know? And I feel like that's two different things. The strip the C conversation and the you don't produce enough points, they don't really go together. Well, I think the people... You know, some people just look at hockey and just look at, well, he doesn't score a lot of goals. And then, therefore, he's not an effective enough player. But I feel like the people who dislike Claude Giroux don't think that he doesn't get enough points. So I don't know if they look at him as if he underachieves on the ice from a point. Yeah, but I don't even know if it's the point. It's the goals. It's like, okay, I don't care that you have a lot of assists. I want you to put the puck in the... In the net. Right. I guess that's just an uneducated hockey fan. Right. Like, if I was to say, man, I have 87 points, but 60 of them were on assists and, you know, 27. You know how good of a season that is? If you told me you had 20 goals and 67 assists, that's a nice season. But people do look at that as if it's not enough. And a lot of people would say, yeah, that's great, but you're not scoring goals. You know, it's like the guy who gets the hurry, not the sack. Oh, exactly. It's a Brandon Graham kind of thing. Exactly. Well, does Brandon Graham fit in that category? No, I think he used to. Well, I mean, I think he has kind of graduated out of that. Derek Barnett? Barnett, I think, would be a a prime candidate. He was a first-round pick. The problem with Barnett is we just don't have a sample size that's big enough to really, I don't know. If I was to say, do you have a large enough sample size to give uh, an opinion on what you think Derek Barnett is? He's been here for, what, four seasons? This is the fourth upcoming right now? Yeah, he has been here. This is his fourth year. Um, His first season, he barely played at all. Uh, He had five sacks in that season where he didn't start any games. Then in 2018, he only played six games. And he had two and a half sacks in the six games. That's pretty good. And then last year, he played 14 games, and he had six and a half sacks. Although it seems like he missed more than just two games last year, does seem that way, doesn't it? I would, uh, yeah. I mean, I'd have to go back and see, like, did he get hurt in games or whatever? But it says he played fourteen games last year, which I'm kind of surprised by. Now, last year he played sixty nine percent of the snaps. The year before that, he only played twenty three percent of the snaps, and the year that before that, only forty one. So he has only played over fifty percent of the snaps once. What about Jalen Mills? Uh, Mills was a seventh-round pick. That He's is very hard to true. put on that list. That's very true, but he does seem to get a lot of slander because of how much he got beat on double moves. Well, that and the fact that he's got the green wig, you know. You don't like the green wig. No, I'm just saying, like, he draws that attention to himself, but I don't think he's frustrating. He was a seventh-round pick. The fact that he is a contributing player on a team that won a Super Bowl with a seventh-round pick, he shouldn't be frustrating. He should be applauded. I got another flyer for you. Shane Gossespierre. Yeah, Gossespierre's a good one. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Which player from one of the teams in Philly is most frustrating? 609-403-0973. Now they're all popping into my well, head. I was thinking about this because of first the Ben Simmons thing, and then I'm writing this story on Velasquez, and I'm hearing, oh, he's got the cutter, and all of a sudden, you know, Girardi's like, well, it's hard to ignore what he's doing, you know. How about Roman Quinn? I was thinking Reese Hoskins. Reese Hoskins, good one. Yeah. Reese, like, if we if we were to say, you know, we're going to come up with, what, five to ten of them, Reese Hoskins has got to be in that. 
Absolutely. Well, wait, I'm you see Wankel's tweet on Nap last night? I did. I tagged you. You didn't I answer. I had to think no about answer. my thoughts. No answer. Well, I was driving home. I'm not a texter and driver. Well, you got home t- at some point. I did. And then no, I, I don't think you I slept forgot. in the car last night while I was running and you were driving it. At some point, you got home, snuggled in. No, you're right. Yeah, you're right. I Shame on so. me. <laughs> Shame on me. Damn it. Yeah, I yeah. forgot that no, beer today. The thing today. with Andrew Knapp, I'll say, oh, you forgot the beer. There you I go. Did. Okay. Well, the thing with Andrew Knapp with that tweet, I have seen a lot of buzz about Andrew Knapp so far in this spring training 2.0. A lot of people have been a little surprised with what he's been doing. And I always say I want to be wrong about players when I think that they're not good enough. I want to be wrong. I can totally accept that. If Andrew Knapp is good enough to rely on in certain spots, well, then by all means, I want him to do that. The difference is now, though, with the DH in play, there were times last year where he would have to be utilized to go up and pinch hit, and he would fail. Now it's a little bit of a different situation because you don't have that circumstance come up as much. Maybe that changes the way that he approaches the plate at times, and he gets more into a groove because he's playing the well, actual game. He- wasn't he thought of to be a decent offensive playing catcher? Like, that's what kind of got him up here. Yeah, exactly. And and he did have, I think what Bob Wankel was talking about, his numbers in the minor leagues were pretty impressive. But then there was that, there was a time last year where it was so ugly for him. He was just constantly getting out over and over and over again. It was brutal. Now do you put Al Horford on the list? Which player from one of the teams in Philly is most frustrating? Tweet. At uh, 973 ESPN says, Al Horford, game over. He's saying it as if it's not even a conversation. Al Horford's that guy. Well, I think it's very reasonable to put Al Horford on the list. What about Joel Embiid? He had an underwhelming season. Embiid's in there, no question. I mean, he has times when he's... His is inconsistently frustrating because sometimes he's dominant and there's other times he's frustrating. He's not always frustrating. I think what makes Ben always frustrating is that while he dominates games at times, you're still like, oh, my God, there's so much more in there. Now, you can also put Tobias Harris on the list. And now, as I'm writing all these out, right, I have a list of which players on which I mean, teams. now you're going the whole six Exactly. The whole starting five, essentially, is in the frustrating category. That's not good. But it's reality. That just shows you what the expectations were before the season. I don't know. Tobias Harris, by the way, I think you can make a case that he has exceeded his own expectations. You think so? Well, I mean, when you when he got drafted, I don't think anybody thought that Tobias Harris was going to be a max player. I mean, he was the 19th pick in the draft. I mean, it, you oh, get you're drafted t- 19th. You don't have these expectations that you're going to be making max money. No, that's fair. From his draft status standpoint, I would agree with you. From coming from the Clippers to the Sixers, that's where I say that maybe the disappointment would come into play. Well, you got a text message here that says, at least based on the playoffs last year, Tobias Harris really seemed to let me down, never came through with the bucket when they needed it. See, like, I don't think, like, that's the problem. I think you're viewing Tobias Harris in the wrong light then. he He's not... A dog. He's not, well, he's just not game on the line. Give Tobias Harris the ball guy. He's really supposed to be your third guy. Your third guy. I'm on the same page as you. He's supposed to be the third guy, and when he is the third guy, he's giving you 20 points per game. Your third guy is giving you 20 points per game. Right, I mean, he's a like a high-end number three. If he's your number two, you're probably an average team. Right, but people will now start throwing the money at you and go, or Gil, how are you supposed to pay your third guy that much money? But when you have Ben and Joel, you can do that. He's fallen into the, 
Andre Iguodala spot, where Iguodala got the max deal with the Sixers, and then he got criticized because he was the max player, and he really wasn't a max guy. See, I think the problem with the whole money thing is the Al Horford contract. If you take away that Al Horford contract and you split that up around the league to try and get more players, that Tobias Harris contract isn't really that much of a discussion. So you're going with this guy's uh, tweet that says, Al Horford, game over. He's most frustrating? I think Ben has to be the most frustrating only because I know what he can be if he unlocks the rest of his game. He can be that player that teams are afraid of. The way that the league talks about Giannis, that could be Ben Simmons. You go uh, Nolan Patrick at all, or is that not fair? I don't know if his expectations were that high. Going into it... He was the number two pick in the draft. But everyone knew that that draft was so brutal going in. So I don't think yeah. it was an expectations thing for Patrick. Ghost might be the best pick of the Flyers because he had an equivalent to a Reese Hoskins run early, and now he's dipping down and it's, okay, do we trade Shane Goss' bear? Ghost might be the best answer for the Fly guys. Um, I'm just trying to go, you know, go JVR. People I mean, are a little underwhelmed with JVR because he got paid fair. a lot of money. JVR is not fair. I mean, he was a second pick, but he's now he, he's now established himself as what he is. I mean, I can understand if he was the second pick in the draft two years ago, and he's this, and you're kind of like, yeah, we thought we were getting more. Now, last year, if we had this conversation, you could have said Ivan Provorov because he had a brutal season last year. Yeah, he's changed it around. Big now, Giroux is in the conversation, though, for the people out there, I'm imagining. I would think, I don't think so, there's but I'm not happy about it. I don't think there's a general consensus that Giroux is an elite player. I don't know how you don't put him in the elite category when you look at his numbers. No, I'm saying there's not a general consensus. Like, there is frustration. Now, this year I haven't heard it nearly as much because Drew and, I mean, the the team has been good. So it's been, and while the team has been good, he has not been their best player. That is very true. That's that's true. I think he provides that, that doesn't role mean that he needs to. He's frustrating this year. I'm just talking about through his career. I'm talking about more like, you know, post-2010 when he kind of became the guy, you know, when everybody started to leave and he was the guy left over. They haven't really won all that much when he's been their best player. Right, but I also always That's the go frustrating back. part. Right, but I always go back to, you know, when you have nine goaltenders or eight goaltenders in one season like they did last year, I don't care if you have Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid, you're not winning anything. True. Anything is fair. A first-round playoff series, I think, is a possibility. See, I think you have a little bit of that basketball mindset with hockey, and I just think it takes way more than one guy when it comes to hockey. Like, that one guy to change the team is so rare. For example, Austin Matthews for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That was a big, big deal. And it's not like he has personal success. But because he's on that team, it's not like they are constantly winning anything because he's there, right? Same with Connor McDavid. I mean, the guy is unbelievable. But it's not like the Edmonton Oilers now go around and They're start also very young cup. players. They are. They are. And that doesn't mean that, you know, Giroux has been here for a while. They've won with him on the team when he wasn't the best player, when they had Richards and Carter and that group. And then once they were gone and they kind of handed the, the reins over to him, it wasn't like he didn't – I mean, he has Voracek. He has Wayne Simmons. I mean, he had a couple of other guys – it wasn't like he was this old guy with barrenness. He had a couple of, I mean, none of them were, you know, 
they weren't great, but he had good enough players around him that they could have won a series. I agree with you that they should have been in the playoffs and been competing. If you just put a list of I'm not problems, suggesting that it's his fault they didn't make deep Stanley Cup runs right, with I the get goaltending that. issue, but they have been in game sevens of first-round playoffs or been in first rounds where they've gotten their butts whipped. No, I agree with you. And I just think if you made a list of why the Flyers haven't been able to win a Stanley Cup since Giroux has been here, Giroux is... You know, not even close to the top of the conversation. But I do agree that, look, could they have been more competitive and been in playoff runs? Yeah, you know what? Probably, probably. But I can't just put that on Giroux. I'm a Jerusalem. You're allowed to be. And I'm not saying, like, like I say who's the most frustrating. I think he has kind of fallen out of that category. And part of it's because the team is good. If the team was just average, you might say, man, the team is average and Giroux is, you know, kind of uh, falling down on his own team. Now he's got guys who have surpassed him in terms of um, where is he on, you know. The thing is with the scoring on this Flyers team, they had so much depth that everyone kind of is having good seasons. And he's fourth. And and if you told me that, I I, I guess I'm a little surprised sight unseen. Now it's funny because Giroux has 21 goals, 32 assists, 53 points. If I ask somebody who's having a better year, Giroux or Hayes, and they might say, well, Hayes is. He's got 23 goals. And Drew only has 21 goals. But Hayes only has 18 assists. Drew has 32. He's got 12 more points than Hayes does. Absolutely. Yeah, those assists definitely rack up, and especially for someone like G. But another guy is Voracek. Flyers fans have a weird relationship with Voracek. He's very open with the fan base. He tweets sometimes about getting pissed off with certain fans. He's got a weird relationship Voracek, with the fans. Voracek is weird. And it feels like when he was in Columbus that no one really had these high expectations of him when they got him in that deal. And then he came here, and he had, like, the Reese Hoskins effect almost. He had, like, a great – like, he came to Philly with – you weren't like, oh, we got this guy Voracek. This is good. And then all of a sudden, he ends up having, like, a great start to his Flyers career, and you're like, man – This guy, Voracek, we weren't expecting to get this from this guy in that trade. And then all of a sudden, you know, he has, I think he had like an 80-point season a couple of years ago. And you were like, and then he got that contract, and it's kind of gone down That's what it was. It was the contract that I think kind of started a new relationship with fans. But he was not a guy that you expect. Now, he was a first-round pick, seventh overall by Columbus, so he had some draft capital. But in hockey, that doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. But when the Flyers got him, were you like, oh, they got this guy Voracek. He's great. Definitely not. No. Okay. So he exceeded expectations. But once that contract, Not a big goal scorer either. No. He's a playmaker. That's been the problem. It's been goaltending and then the pure sniper. That's what Flyers fans have been screaming about for years. They need a pure sniper. And they don't have that. People are maybe expecting Travis Konechny to once grow into that. But still, there's a level of even a higher snipers than someone like Travis Knapp. All right, this is unfair, I think, or fair. Most frustrated with Carter Hart on the road. Unfair. Wow, they go, like, on the road only. Unfair. That That guy right there gets a beer. (laughs) My beer? My beer? No, I'll say this. Carter Hart on the road, it's unfair because he's 20 years old playing in his legit first season like this is his first legit run at this thing where he is the guy and that's so uncalled for to be 
or it's just so not common to be this young doing what he's doing. It's just not normal to be a 20, 21-year-old goaltender playing like this. I mean, he's going Carter Hart like you're going Sixers, like 29-2 and two at home and 10-24 and 24 on the road. Yeah, What's most frustrating? Give, Sixers on the road, not Sixers at home. Give the guy some time to grow here. You know, in between the pipes, it's a mental thing. You're hitting the road. You're leaving Philadelphia. Come on. Right, give him John, a bone. Johnny from Collingswood. Hey, guys, I love the beer segment. Keep that going. I forgot the beer today. I'm sorry. Uh, most frustrating player is Voracek. Dude was supposed to be our 40 to 50 goal a year guy and never broke 40. I don't know if that's realistic. 40 to 50 goals. We're talking Alexander Ovechkin, Steven Stamkos. I don't know if he was ever supposed to be that good at scoring goals. I mean, no, I know what you at Voracek is a sniping 40 goal game, uh, 40 goals. Nah, the season. problem with him is he passes the puck almost too much at times. So it would be the other way around. Yeah, he 65 assists is his high. 23 Three. goals is his yeah. uh, is his top out. No way 40 to 50. No. I mean, that's just absurd. He wasn't even doing that in Columbus before the Flyers got him, you know? Well, when they, when they got him from Columbus. Now, he was the first uh, seventh pick in the 07 draft. He got up here the next year. So he's 30 years old now. So what was he, like, you know, 20 at the time back then? Give or take, yeah. yeah. 19 years old. Right. And that's why I was looking old. at Claude Giroux the other day. Like He's 33 or so, 32 What's or an 30. old hockey guy? That's what I'm saying. Like, Claude Giroux, he's 32 years old. He's what still old? got some years on him. I'd say, like, 35 to 38 is, hey, it's time. It depends on each guy, though. But 35 to 38 might be that time to hang him up. Who's the most frustrating? 609-403-0973. These are guys that have talent. They're good, but they frustrate you because they could be better. That's what you get mad about is like the Ben Simmons effect. You watch him shooting threes the other day, and you're wondering, why? Why can't he be better? I think when you go to the Phillies and you talk about the two pitchers fighting for that fifth spot between Pavetta and Vinny V. Most people would say that Pavetta has the stuff, the actual stuff, to Velasquez be has, Velasquez's arm's electric. I mean, he could throw 98. He's got he just He has no command. His biggest problem, he has no command. And the second and third time around the lineup, he gets destroyed. Well, part of it's because he has no command. He has no idea. You know, he has no control. He has no he can't command his pitches. He has no It's like a guy who has this great arm and he just has no idea where the ball's going. When he releases that thing, it's just wherever. I mean, it just <laughs> where it lands is where it's going. He has no idea, no command at all. And that's what's that's what made me think of this conversation was, man, this Velasquez is really frustrating. He is so frustrating because then I'm hearing Girardi saying, "Oh, it's hard to uh, you know, it's hard to uh, uh, ignore what he's doing out there. He's been great." I wonder what Price has to do with this because they got a new pitching coach. Chris Young out the door. Here comes Price. Here comes Joe Girardi. Are you going to see something out of Vinny V because of them? Are they helping him learn new pitches? Is his command going to get better because someone like Price is coming in, an established pitching coach, and really teach him how to do it? Now, what about all these uh, Flyers defensemen that got drafted during, like, the Hextall era that we kept hearing about? Like, you know, every one of them. They're Sanheim and... Sanheim's having a good year. Sanheim, Sanheim is really becoming something nice. It's that Sam Moran... 
who has been going through the ACL injuries yeah, over one. and over and over again. I feel like they drafted Ooh. defensive men for like five straight years, and forever they had all these defensive men hanging out in the minors together. But that was the problem with Ron Hextall. Hextall did a phenomenal job at getting all of these kids. He was so afraid to actually call them up. Now you're starting to see them. Philip Myers, he's going to be a hell of a player. Well, Philip Myers Santa. was a guy, though, that they didn't really even – draft. I mean, he, like he wasn't a first-round pick like these other guys we're talking about. No, but I'm just saying there was a there was a ton of talent in the in the farm system and they're starting to kind of bring them up and starting to pull them up from the Lehigh Valley Phantoms and you're starting to see them play. Yeah, you had Sanheim, uh Samaran, Robert Hag, they were all drafted like boom 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 like this year, this year, this year and we kept hearing like hey, they got all these defenders down in the minors and they never Brought any of them up, and now they're up. I mean, well, that but, was a Hextall problem. Seriously, that was one of the biggest knocks. He would never call anyone up. He wanted to keep them down for as long as possible. Another one they drafted this year, Cam York. Kid's going to be a stud. National Development Program. Going to be electric. You like him? Oh, I really do, yeah. All I right. think he's going to be a stud. Keep your texts coming. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. What player from one of the Philly teams is the most frustrating guy to you which guy frustrates you the most Phillies Flyers Sixers Eagles 609-403-0973 609-403-0973 we're just getting started Bob Wankel gonna talk a little Phillies should Vince Velasquez will he continue to frustrate us we'll talk to Bob from Crossing Broad coming up next brought to you by your Delaware Valley Acura dealers this month visit your local dealer for great deals on the award-winning Acura lineup A uh, week for tomorrow, Phillies opening day. They'll have a couple scrimmages this weekend. And, of course, Bob Wankel covering the Phillies, CrossingBroad.com, with plenty of insight on the team to update everybody on what's happening at Citizens Bank Park. As he joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline, we're going to get some more insight. Now, I will ask you this, Bob. Vince Velasquez. Now, we are just having a discussion on who are some of the most frustrating players in the city Velasquez belong on that list or is he just past that now where we shouldn't be frustrated with anymore he's just who he is I think we may become frustrated by him all over again based on what he's done over the last week and a half down at Citizens Bank Park uh last time we talked I probably told you that Vince Velasquez was in line to be the fifth starter and, and he's really starting to cement that role I think and uh you know it, I think I might be getting duped again. You know, we all fell in love with him after that first start against the Padres with the 16 strikeouts and the big fastball and all that stuff, and it just never materialized and almost uh, through 100 career starts now. But he's coming back, and JT Romuto is talking about how he's added a cutter and how the, the changeup looks a lot better and that they're trying to really reinvent his game. And to this point, he's been very impressive in the uh, couple of appearances that he's made against Philly's hitters. So... Right now, on merit, Vince Velasquez is going to be the Phillies' fifth starter. And, you know, we'll see what happens here, but they're starting to hype him up again a little bit. And so if, if he came off of the most frustrating athletes list, he might be <laughs> right back in play for it about a month from now. Um, that's very frustrating to hear, actually. Uh, Bob Wankel's with us covering <laughs> the Phillies. Um, so was he in line to be the number five guy? If this, I mean, they only have a week left to go. I mean, is it really even a competition, or is this uh, Vince Velasquez going to be uh, their five? 
I suppose that Nick Pavetta could pitch his way back into consideration tonight. Uh, he will uh, take a handful of innings. But Vince Velasquez has definitely looked uh, sharper uh, between the two of them. I, I talked to Brian Price, asked him a question the other night about Nick Pavetta, and, and he's really tried to focus on developing a changeup, which is so important to him because we talk about Nick Pavetta's fastball and, and how he has this big, powerful arm. But, I mean, guys slugged over 500 against his fastball last year because he's really a two-pitch pitcher, and he struggles with his command. And, you know, Brian Price was very complimentary of him and said, yeah, you know, he's developing it and he looks good. But the way that Price responds to questions about Vince Velasquez is just a little bit different. You know, he's complimentary of both guys, but your eyes, if if you've looked at both of them down there at Citizens Bank Park over the last 14 days, Velasquez just looks sharper. And I think that there's more of a belief that there's something they haven't unlocked in him yet. Whereas with Pavetta, I think they feel like, this is kind of what this guy is, and I think when it gets to who makes a better fit in the bullpen, I also happen to believe they think that, that Nick Pavetta is the better bullpen fit. So, barring something crazy, which is certainly in play here over the next, whatever it is, eight days or so before the regular season starts, a variety of different things can happen, obviously. I think the Vince Velasquez is, is all but wrapped up the number five starter uh, job at, at this point. What do you think Nick Pavetta's biggest problem is? Because it he definitely has the stuff, and we've been saying that for so many years. I'm sick and tired of actually hearing myself say he has the stuff. But I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if he can work in the bullpen, in my opinion. What is his biggest problem? Uh, the biggest problem is that he's a two-pitch pitcher. I mean, he's a he's a fastball, curveball guy. He, he threw a show-me slider at times last year. And that's why the, the changeup is so important, because – yeah, he has a power fastball, and the curve at times is a decent pitch for him, but it comes and goes, and then he really relies on just solely his fastball. So the ability to develop a changeup would make a, a huge difference for Nick Pavetta. But the, the fact of the matter is, I mean, we're not talking about a kid that's you know a year into his professional career here. You know, he's certainly guys over time have developed pitches as they've gotten into their mid to late twenties, and they've evolved, but. He hasn't really shown the ability to do that. And he started, I guess it was, and I, I might be getting my days mixed up here, but I believe he pitched on Saturday, uh, Friday or Saturday at Citizens Bank Park. And the first inning, he struck out the side. But then the second inning, he was out there, he gave up five runs. And, I mean, there was some hard contact, too. He didn't get, you know, uh, blooped to death out there. And it just it looks like the same thing that it's looked like the past two seasons. And I just don't see – that evolution. He desperately needs a third pitch that he can depend on, and without it, I think that uh, you know a late-inning reliever, maybe even a middle-inning reliever, is his upside at this point. I'm just not a believer in his game anymore. Uh, I, I've seen enough of it, and I don't really care that he consistently hits 95 miles an hour with the fastball. It's just it's not enough in today's game. Uh, Bob Wanko, Crossing Broad, covers the Phillies. I know last time you were on, you really endorsed uh... – Roman Quinn, but then, uh, you know, Hastley's had a couple of nice games. He double in the gap, a couple of hits. Uh, how's that center field looking? Hey, does Girardi know at this point? Uh, he's not telling us if he does know. He says it's, it's wide open. He keeps talking about how, uh, you know, impressive Roman Quinn specifically has been. Uh, my opinion on this battle hasn't changed. Adam Hazley's done a nice job in recent days. I just think that when it's all said and done, Roman Quinn has more upside and you know, my rationale for playing Quinn is that I think he's just a more dynamic player and that the Phillies are a little bit behind the curve in terms of talent in the NL East, and I think that Roman Quinn can do more for you to bridge that talent gap between the Braves, the Nationals, and maybe even arguably the Mets. Uh, that being said, both of these guys are going to play a lot, assuming that they stay healthy. You know, it's not like 
Remington Quinn's been fantastic and Adam Hazley hasn't been, and I'm not necessarily trying to say that Adam Hazley doesn't deserve to play on this team. I think that there's going to be enough opportunity that, that both guys play quite a bit. But right now, to me, I just think that, that Quinn brings a little bit more to the table, and I had to say one of these guys were to, to get the lion's share of starts. For me, it would be Roman Quinn. But, you know, I don't think either way that it's going to be a, a 70-30 split. I, I think you're still going to see roughly a, a 60-40 and possibly even be a 50-50 split between these two players when it's all said and done. I can't believe I'm going down this road, but how good does Andrew Knapp look? The thing is, with JT Real Muto in a 60-game season, <laughs> how much time could he possibly even get in there as well? I'm so glad you brought this up. <laughs> I, 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 I really wanted to talk about Andrew Knapp today. Listen, uh, JT Real Muto said he, he wants to catch 50 to 55 games over a 60-game schedule. I don't know that Joe Girardi's going for that, but listen, Andrew Knapp was horrible last year, and there's really no way to sugarcoat it. I mean, he had 215, uh, and it just seemed like he made a lot of big outs in key spots. And the problem is, is that the way that the Phillies constructed their roster last year, he had to take on meaningful pinch-hitting opportunities, especially late in games for the Phillies. And that, that's just not what you want, really from any backup catcher, but especially Andrew Knapp. And Andrew Knapp specifically is a little bit frustrating because in 2015-2016, as he was progressing through the minor leagues, he showed some offensive capability. But... After an okay year in 2018, he was just abysmal at the plate last season. That being said, he's looked good <laughs> over the last two weeks. And I tweeted out last night, hey, listen, hear me out. Uh, Andrew Knapp has looked good. He's, he's bouncing around a little bit, a lot of energy. You can see why his teammates like him. He's been swinging the bat a little bit, and, and he's looked okay. And, I mean, I, I can't – describe the response that I got to, to that tweet. I mean, just people absolutely don't want to hear that. No, you cannot put too much stock in what happens over a two-week stretch uh, in the summer camp, but I'd rather see a guy do it than not do it. And to this point, Andrew Knapp looks okay. So if he starts 10 to 12 games behind the plate for the Phillies, is that the end of the world? Like, I, I really don't think so. Uh, if, if you're relying on your backup catcher to be a difference maker for you and, and you're getting that upset about your backup catcher, to me, uh, you have serious problems with the rest of your roster construction. Uh, what's uh, Nola's um, prospect of starting on Friday? I believe he is in line to start that game. Uh, Girardi had, had hinted it as much. Uh, to, I believe it's going to be Nola Scherzer on, on Friday. Um, I would believe if all goes well in that start, I know that they've been a little bit cautious with him. Uh, but if all goes well in that start, I believe that that would put him in line to start on opening day. The only consideration that, that you have to kind of look at here is the availability of, of Zach Wheeler. And I don't mean in terms of health, but uh, his wife is due to uh, uh, give birth right around the start of the season. Um, it, perhaps that situation may dictate a scenario where the Phillies say we need to make sure that we get a start out of him. So, they could perhaps go with Wheeler in game one if they wanted to speed up that timeline to ensure that they get that game. But if, if everything kind of remains status quo, I would expect Aaron Nola, despite the fact that Joe Girardi hasn't committed to him yet as the opening day starter, to make that start next Friday uh, against the Marlins. And just really uh, quick on, on Nola, he pitched the other night uh, and was, was fairly sharp. The first two innings he was very efficient. Uh, struggled a little bit in his third inning with command, but I think that he's on track. I don't know that he's going to give you 80 pitches in his first start, but I do think that you know seven pitches realistically uh, in game one or two for Aaron Nola I think is something that you can probably bank on at this point. 
How good does Gene Segura look at third base? I saw a couple plays going around Twitter of some beautiful defensive uh, effort. Surprisingly good. I think that there was uh, a little bit of concern about him moving over to third base just because, you know, at times last year he uh, he wasn't great up the middle. And now you're, you're moving him over to third. It's a totally different situation. But he made a play the other night where he, he went down to his knees, and, I mean, he essentially flipped the ball at a, a submarine angle across the infield like it was absolutely nothing and, and got the runner by, you know, a step or two. And he's been pretty smooth over there. He's made plays laterally. He's made plays on the charge coming in. Uh, I'm not uh, predicting a gold glove uh, in 2020 for Gene Segura, but he's looked more than adequate over there. And so much so that even if Scott Kingery is a little bit behind here, which they're easing him back in now uh, in these inter-squad uh, games, even if Kingery's not ready, it looks like Segura is going to be the third baseman regardless. So, um, you know, I think that lets you know the Phillies' comfort level with him defensively at this point as well. Uh, Bob Wankel crossing broad cover in the Phillies. They open up on Friday. Spencer, Howard, uh, Bohm, those are the two guys I think most fans are uh, most intrigued as to their status. Uh, anything cleared up about those two guys and their opening day status? I don't foresee either on the opening day roster, and I do think that ultimately uh, roster uh, or I'm sorry, service time considerations uh, are going to take a you know priority here. I think that that is a factor. Um, you know, I, I said about two weeks ago, coming into this before we really saw anybody get out on the field, that I would have liked to have seen Spencer Howard get that number five starter spot because a you want to learn a little bit about the kid, and, and b it's not Vince Velasquez and it's not Nick Pavetta, and let's see something else. Let's see a kid with a little bit of upside here and, and see what he can do over a 60-game schedule. That being said, you do have to consider service time, and to be perfectly honest with you, Vince Velasquez has looked impressive, and to the point where, like I said at the beginning of his call on merit, he probably looks most prepared right now to, to inherit that role. Now, if things go south for Vince Velasquez very quickly, which they, they absolutely could, then I think maybe maybe they consider Spencer Howard at that point. But I would not expect Spencer Howard in this rotation, uh, at least in the first few weeks. I think that it's really going to depend on a variety of situations. Do guys stay healthy? Do they stay off the COVID-19 list? How does Vince Velasquez perform? And, and we kind of have overlooked Zach Eflin in this whole thing. You know, Zach Eflin can really give you some some strong – starts in five to six straight starts, and, and then he can just completely blow up. And he's a big question mark in this, too. But if those two guys stabilize and they give you quality innings, Spencer Howard, I think, may be up eventually when we get toward the uh, third, fourth week of August, but it may be in a bullpen role. Um, so at this point, I would not expect to see him. As far as Alex Bohm goes, he's, he's kind of had a, a, weird, a weird camp. He's, he's had a lot of hits down there. He's had a, a, almost every game, it seems like he has at least a hit. The only thing I'll say is that he doesn't square up a ton of baseballs. Like, given his size, I, I'd like to see a little bit more pop, especially from a, a corner infield type player. But he has, like, a lot of just, you know, flares out into center field, three hoppers through a hole. He, he did hit one the opposite way into the right center field gap a few days ago for a double. And, I mean, he struck that ball pretty well. But I would like to see a little bit more authority in his contact right now. And we haven't really seen that yet. My guess is you'll see him again at some point throughout the course of the season. But I would also be surprised, as it stands right now, he broke this camp on the opening day roster. Anything on Reese Hoskins? It's a big year for him, and I haven't really heard or seen much about him hitting the ball well. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
I want to I want to be careful about how I say this. Ooh. I had concerns coming into the spring about his reworked batting stance. I think it's very hard to gain timing uh, with this stance. I think that losing the three months, uh, no matter how much cage work you do, uh, presents an entirely a uh, different problem for almost any hitter, but especially when you're trying to totally reinvent your stance like this. Uh, I, I just I think that that creates a, a tough situation. And to be perfectly honest with you, um, he has not stood out. I'll say that. I, I guess that's the most polite way I can say it. I don't want to say he looks horrible. Uh, he's collected a couple hits in recent days, but I have not been overly encouraged by what I've seen from Reese Hoskins thus far. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, just getting under the baseball, a lot of weak fly balls so far, um, you know, and, and that's really just kind of what I've seen. I, I want to kind of qualify that by saying it, you don't want to put too much stock in what you're seeing in these games, right? Like, you can only go by what, what we have in front of us, but it's not a terribly big sample, and there's nobody there, and there's just not a lot of juice for these games. A few of them, the coaching staff has been playing prominent defensive innings early on in these scrimmages, and I don't know. I, I think that sometimes it's kind of hard to lock in. At the same time, like I said about Andrew Knapp, you want to see a guy do it as opposed to not do it, and Reese Haskins really hasn't done it uh, you know, in these games over the last week plus, so we'll see. Uh, but I haven't seen anything that, that makes me go, oh, wow, you know, here comes – here comes a breakout. And that's not to say it won't happen, but you haven't heard a whole lot about him because there really just hasn't been much to say. I'll leave you with this. Uh, any thought on how Girardi might stack that lineup? You know, I haven't really given too much consideration to it, only because we've uh, you know, really been focusing more on who's going to make the roster and what the opening mm -hmm. day roster, this 30-man roster, is going to look like. So when he does the inner squads, they don't do like uh, the projected starters against him? Yeah, they you. do. I mean, I, mean, I would tell you that in a perfect world that you'll have Harper, Hoskins, 3-4. It really depends. I think that you're going to have either Quinn or Hazley, whoever wins that job, hit leadoff. And then... I believe that Segura will probably be the two-hitter. You'll probably see Real Muto 5. I know I'm jumping numbers all around here, but I'm just kind of plugging them in. I think Gregorius is probably your sixth, uh, and then and then you'll go from there. So, I mean, I think those are the You left out McCutcheon. McCutcheon not hitting leadoff? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, McCutcheon. Uh, yeah, I guess, I, I mean, it really is going to come down to what they want to do. If, if it's Hazley, you might see him hit seventh. If it's Quinn, he might hit second. That would depend on what you're doing with Segura. Um I think McCutcheon probably will hit leadoff at the start, but I could see a couple different scenarios based on lineup construction, depending on who they go with Quinn Hazley, where McCutcheon could hit fifth even. So they have some, they have some flexibility. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't, I don't know that they have that in cement yet. Um, but I do think that whatever we see on Friday night will probably be a pretty good indication of what we're going to see a week from Friday. Great stuff. Bob Wankel crossing broad. Uh, Phillies uh, this weekend, a couple exhibitions, and then Friday they'll do it for real a week from tomorrow that Friday. And uh, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. All right, Bob, take care, pal. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Excellent stuff, Bob. As always, here from crossing broad as the Phillies uh, Sunday, they will play the O's. And I guess Monday they will play, what's it, the Yankees or Monday or Tuesday? One of those days. Now, is it bad that I told the fiancé, hey, we got to make sure we're home at a specific time on Sunday just so I can watch the game, and it's a game that doesn't even matter? Is 6 that, p.m., is, you, what do you got, plants? Well, it's her father's, in somewhere? It's her, it's her father's birthday. So it's, hey, we got to go see him, but can we see him at a time that I can be home to watch a game that means nothing? Is that bad of me? No. Okay. Cape May County's top-rated beaches with 
ample space to spread out in Cape May County. You can enjoy fine dining, shopping, hiking trails, and more. Make some memories just down the road in Cape May. For information, visit online at escapetothejerseycape.com. I mean, it's the first live something. I mean, you got to get a little insight. Exactly, and he's a sportsman, too, so he should understand that we're going to have to come a little early. Is he a sportsman or a hockey fan? Oh, no, he's a sportsman. He's anti-hockey, more football. Okay, then he's a real talk radio show on 97.3 ESPN-FM. Hey, don't forget, tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock, you can get a $50 gift card for just $25 to Dickie's Barbecue Pit in EHT. Dickie's Barbecue Pit, EHC Black Horse Bike, open every day, outdoor dining, takeout, delivery. Get the deal starting tomorrow at 9 o'clock at SeizeTheDeal.com. Hurry. This deal will sell out quickly like all the rest. For more info on this Seize the Deal offer, tap on the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What do you think about my shirt today? Not bad. I mean, it's not like... I, I, uh. You expected a little bit more. See, now I'm upset that I kind of... Well, yeah, you like promoted this on Twitter at Broads81 like I was going to be appalled. Like yesterday's shirt sucked. The other shirt was you bought from the guy on the street. This is like what, your uh, adult beer league softball? Yeah, men's softball shirt with the three-quarter sleeves and the number on the back. I feel like you would probably go, eh, I would never do that. Eh, it's all right. I mean, the swingers. Yeah, we were the swingers. Come yeah. on, that's funny. It's, it's not bad. Thank you. All right, shirt's not bad, though. It's not like typical beer league softball shirt. But I just thought you would go anti-wear out as your actual shirt for the day. It's okay. I'm not like, man, what are you doing? That's a bad look. I mean, I'm, I'm less appalled at that than the White Claw. Oh, come on. D-Ray on the NBA, next.